In this episode of the ESG Beat, we will speak with Sonia Katyal, Professor of Law at UC Berkeley School of Law. Professor Katyal is widely recognized as an expert on issues which are at the intersection of technology and civil rights. Today we will discuss her recent article, Private Accountability in the Age of Artificial Intelligence, in which she demonstrates how AI plays a role in enabling and perpetuating gender and racial discrimination. Professor Katyal will also offer pragmatic advice on how companies can transform their business practices to help mitigate the discriminatory impacts of AI. Welcome to the ESG Beat, Professor Katyal. Thank you so much. It's really a delight to be able to be part of this conversation. I'm so excited to share your recent article, Private Accountability in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. And in that article, you demonstrate really clearly how AI perpetuates gender and racial discrimination. And before we delve into that article, I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell our audience a bit more about your work. Sure. So in the past, I was mostly trained as an intellectual property scholar. My main interest in intellectual property Uh, has actually been traditionally trademarks. In the last few years, I've developed a really strong interest in trade secrecy. And it is in part the interest in trade secrecy that led me to spend a lot of time thinking about software and source code and the secrecy of source code and the way in which that poses kind of grave implications for individuals who are thinking about fairness and anti-discrimination in not only the workplace, but in the marketplace as well. And so in the last few years, I've focused much more of my attention less on being an intellectual property scholar and more on the implications of how different areas of IP like trade secret law have really posed some interesting implications for the future of artificial intelligence. And so I have a couple of articles in the last couple of years that have focused on different aspects of this. One studies uh, the trademark registration ecosystem. I wrote that with Aniket Kasari, who's a really star scholar who does empirical research. And we looked at ways in which AI implicates the trademark registration system and can potentially change some of the dynamics of trademark registration. That's one article that I've written for the Berkeley Tech Law Journal. I have another article that's coming out in the UCLA Law Review specifically on gender and AI and how artificial intelligence has really failed to grapple with the development of gender diversity. So because AI tends to operate in a binary classification of male and female, it often tends to overlook other populations that fall outside of that binary spectrum, specifically transgender and non-binary individuals. And so the article looks at different ways in which AI technologies tend to leave out individual members of the LGBT community. A third aspect of the work that I've been doing focuses on source code and software specifically by looking at some of the different dimensions of how the secrecy of source code has posed implications for civil rights. And it's a continuation of the private accountability work that I've done on AI, but the the majority of it focuses more specifically on trade secrecy and how the growth of trade secrecy and really the failure of patent and copyright law to protect software has created an opening for a default kind of um, reliance on trade secrecy. So those are some of the different projects that I've worked on, but I would say more broadly, my work looks at aspects of IP 
through a civil rights lens. That is, I always try to think about communities, specifically marginalized communities that are affected by the rise of new technologies. Sonia, I know that so many of our listeners will be interested in delving into some of your articles. Can you give us some of the titles of your most recent work? Sure. I have one article that's coming out in the Berkeley Tech Law Journal called Trademarks, Artificial Intelligence, and the Role of the Private Sector. That's the one that I wrote with my co-author, Anakit Kasari, who is a PhD student at Berkeley. I have a second article on uh, software and source code secrecy called The Paradox of Source Code Secrecy. And that came out last year in the Cornell Law Review. I have a third article, the one that I mentioned that is on gender and AI called The Gender Panopticon. That will be coming out in the UCLA Law Review. And then I have a final article on trade secrecy that's a little broader than AI, but it implicates a lot of different issues related to AI called From Trade Secrecy to Seclusion. And that is co-written with Tate Graves, who is a partner at Wilson Sonsini. Wonderful. And you know, you, you are one of the few scholars who look at these issues of technology and civil rights. And, and I'm excited to share your another article, Private Accountability in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. Can you tell us the issues that you set out to address in that article and some of the key takeaways? Sure. And thank you so much for asking about that article. That article was a long process to develop and write. And if anyone out there is reading it, you'll see that it was really a mixture of a bunch of different issues that brought me to the table of studying private accountability and AI. But part of what inspired that work was a recognizing that there's a real absence of powerful, meaningful regulation of AI. And it's a really interesting moment because you have major companies like Microsoft, and, and others really asking for regulation of AI and recognizing the need for regulation of AI. But because the you know, existing power structures have really not delved into how to regulate AI, we have this vacuum. And so the article really attempts to both spend a lot of time focusing on the civil rights concerns that AI raises from the perspective of privacy, due process, and anti-discrimination. And then the second half of the article kind of tries to answer the question of what can private companies do to address these concerns, right? And it starts from a premise that I think is really important, which is, you know, I do presume kind of good faith and the fact that I think many, many individuals in the private sector are equally concerned about the civil rights concerns that AI raises. So what can these companies do to kind of be more mindful of the civil rights concerns that AI raises. And so what the article does is it looks at both ways in which companies can develop internal practices to essentially privately regulate the rise of AI and be mindful of the privacy, due process, and anti-discrimination concerns. And then the last part of the article pays you know, I guess because I am a very pragmatic person and I believe really strongly in finding solutions that may not be end-all, be-all, you know, end solutions to the problem of AI, but that push us a little bit further towards the end of equal treatment. And, uh, and so for that, I spend a lot of time looking at the recent passage of the Defend Trade Secrets Act, which is really fascinating in that it is the first 
kind of major statute put into effect by Congress that actually has a small window of protection for whistleblowers. And the reason why I draw attention to this in the AI context is because it is actually that context that opens up the possibility that individuals working within private corporations may want to come forward and share their concerns about the civil rights concerns raised by AI. And what the Defend Trade Secrets Act does is it actually provides a window of protection for them to do that and to not face liability for trade secret misappropriation if they share their concerns about whether or not AI will lead to a violation of law. So what I argue in the article is that there's a bunch of different proactive things that companies can do in terms of impact statements, in terms of really rigorously testing, testing, testing their AI to make sure that it doesn't cause discriminatory effects, making sure that the data sets they use to train AI are truly diverse and representative of the populations that they try and study. And then if all of those measures are done and still raise some civil rights concerns, there is this really important provision, which is engineered by the Defend Trade Secrets Act, which actually would protect individuals who choose to come forward and speak to a lawyer or law enforcement about their concerns regarding the intersection of public policy and trade secrecy. So I think of that as a really important kind of overlooked aspect of how the law has created not a complete solution, but at least a window of protection for individuals to voice their concerns. That is so interesting. And that safe harbor, I'm sure that many people don't recognize that that exists. And so thank you for spending the time to you know, highlight that in, in your work. I know that you know, we have a lot of corporate executives in the audience and you know, thank you for saying that many of them want to address the civil rights concerns that AI poses. Do you have a few uh, pieces of advice for them? in addition to what you've noted, which are impact statements and testing AI and ensuring that data sets are, are diverse. Yeah, thank you for that. So I, I would say my advice would actually uh, sort of move in two directions, one highly technical and one highly abstract. So on the technical framework, I think that part of the problem is that engineers are developing these systems. They're driven by efficiency and uh, correct problem solving. And many of these engineers are individuals who, for whatever reason, are not themselves demographically representative of the populations that are regulated by AI. So I think at the ground level, it's important to hire a really diverse team of engineers, individuals that are going to be charged with the responsibility to design AI. The more you have diverse representation among engineers, the less likely you're going to run into problems later on. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, you know, in the article, it talks a little bit about codes of conduct. I think that it's really important to integrate a really clear sense of what a code of conduct is among the, the more technical aspects of the workforce within a company. So that means in the article I quote from, I think it's the British Computing Society that has this really beautiful kind of oath that engineers take to avoid creating systems that have deleterious impacts on particular populations. 
I think that that's the kind of thing that we need to integrate as part of the culture. And again, this is where I do think like, this is part of the everyday conversation in tech, the lack of diversity, the effect that that might have on the design of technical systems. So thinking about it more through a code of conduct lens opens up the possibility of asking your engineers to make really clear commitments to avoid um, deleteriously impacting issues of privacy, issues of discrimination and anti-discrimination, I should say, and issues of due process. So I think that those things are really important. The other thing that I think is really important is to have a clear sense of like what an impact statement looks like and what an impact statement should study. So in the environmental context, and this is really borrowed from the environmental movement, you cannot undertake a major development without studying the residual impact of that development on the environment. We draw a similar analogy here, which is that if you're going to develop AI systems, you need to think about the effect of those systems on particular groups. So impact statements are a really important way, but you can kind of try to see what the impact of a different kind of technology might be on a particular population. So those are some different ways that you can address the problem. But in addition to these kind of technical or very specific kinds of aspects. And I should say that the, the impact statement, part of that is also drawn from the guidelines that are developed um, by the GDPR, which has a system in place to kind of regulate automated processing. And one of the things that it does is it requires there to be a separation between individuals who oversee the, the use of automated decision-making and individuals who actually undertake the process of automated decision-making. So I would say that that kind of separation is a really useful tool to think about within companies as well. That is, have somebody who specifically is tasked with the responsibility of looking at the AI, looking at the way that that AI is deployed, who is actually separate from the person or the team that is actually utilizing, designing, and, uh, and executing that AI. I think that that's a really useful thing. So those are my more technical kind of aspects. I would say in terms of the abstract, I think that it is also really important in this day and age, the use of AI and the issues that AI raises is an incredibly important and like striking opportunity for AI researchers and AI kind of executives to think about the abstract values of justice, fairness, and due process. And the reason why that's really important is because many of those individual executives are not thinking about those abstract processes. They're thinking about the bottom line, they're thinking about efficiency, they're thinking about all different kinds of things. But I think by opening up a conversation about what fairness means in a context of privately developed AI, what due process means in the context of privately driven AI, what anti-discrimination means. We can look at the frameworks that we've developed by constitutional law and import them into a private context and create the same set of expectations. Now, the value of this is that it doesn't create the same set of liabilities as it might with a state government or a um, federal government, but it does create a good sense of what these contexts mean. What due process means in a constitutional context gives us a bit of a framework for us to think about what due process looks like in the context of AI. So I think for any executive out there who is thinking about these issues, this is the time actually 
to really talk to lawyers, scholars, ethicists, law professors who have been thinking about these issues. Because I guarantee that a really abstract conversation will lead the way to some really interesting technical solutions. And so I think that that's a really exciting opportunity for a conversation among these different levels. Something that starts as very abstract and then something that winds up turning out to be very technical is a really exciting thing. And those conversations would not have happened without the kind of power and potential of AI. Thank you so much for that, Sonia. And I agree with you. And I think that there's a lot of enthusiasm within the business community to have those conversations. So I always like to end the ESG beat with two parting gifts, a magic wand and a crystal ball. So let's start with a magic wand. If I could give you a magic wand and you can change just one thing to encourage companies to look at the civil rights implications of AI, what would that be? And then with the crystal ball, where are we headed? Okay, great. This is awesome. Thank you so much for asking these questions. So if I could wave my magic wand, I think that what I would really want are two things. I think I would really want engineers and individuals who are in the tech industry to not only be cut from a cloth of diversity, that is have really diverse teams developing these tools and advising the development of these tools, But I would also really encourage tech companies to think broadly about hiring from different sectors. That is, why not have a team of in-house ethicists that are going to advise the development of AI and forecast different issues that are going to come up? Why not have a bunch of critical race scholars who do work in the criminal justice system to advise the development of these technologies, because it is in fact the criminal justice system where we see the most dramatic, I think, racial impacts of what happens when AI systems are used in the criminal justice system. And so I would actually want to encourage tech to turn towards the tools of of kind of critical theory in the development of these tools, because I think that at the end result could be a really interesting set of conversations and a set of tools. So that would be the magic wand part. In terms of the crystal ball, I think what we'll probably see happening is separation in the sense that companies are really interested in engaging in these incredibly abstract conversations about fairness and justice and what the problems of AI on a very abstract level And I think that they will have those conversations at the same time that their engineers will undertake and develop potentially very problematic technologies. And unless there's an intersection between the two, I I worry that things may spin out of control where we are talking about abstract values and not really focusing on the kinds of risks that these technologies raise on the ground. And that's why I think these conversations, like the one that we're having with you, Amelia, and to the listeners out there, that's why I think that those conversations are so important. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us today. I I learned so much as I always do, and I'm deeply grateful. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to have this conversation, and I'm excited to take part in the work that you do, Amelia, which is really extraordinary. I'm Amelia Miazad from Berkeley Law. Thank you for staying on the ESG beat with me today.